The Hamlet Podcast, episode 166. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. The scene has been motoring along now for about 60 lines as we see Hamlet eagerly telling Horatio how it is that he managed to escape from the ship for England and the skullduggery that this entailed. We left off last time just as Horatio perhaps mentioned Claudius, and now Hamlet reacts in full voice. He says, Does it not, thinks thee, stand me now upon? He that hath killed my king and whored my mother, popped in between the election and my hopes, thrown out his angle for my proper life, and with such cousinage, is not perfect conscience to quit him with this arm? and is not to be damned to let this canker of our nature come in further evil. Hamlet is insisting that now, surely, it is his duty to kill Claudius. Doesn't Horatio think so too? He's asking if he also thinks that stands him now upon, as though it hovers over him like a duty. Lest we or Horatio have any lingering doubts, Hamlet reminds us of Claudius's crimes. He that hath killed my king and whored my mother popped in between the election and my hopes. There's a new spin emerging now. It's not just that Claudius killed Hamlet's father and became king, but also that he made a whore of his mother. The implication now is that Gertrude was less willing, less a loving wife to him, than a slave. Hamlet's focus is narrowing. He details how Claudius skipped the queue, popped between the election and my hopes, he says. Hamlet, heir to the throne, might rightly have hoped that once his father died, he would be the obvious choice, or election, as successor. But instead, we have Claudius sliding onto the throne. It's a major discussion for anyone approaching the play. Hamlet is an adult, so why doesn't he automatically become king? Of course, if he did, there wouldn't be a play. But how much does this bother him throughout the play with everything else that's going on? Of course, this isn't all that Claudius has done. Hamlet continues, reminding us that Claudius is now trying to arrange for Hamlet's death too. He's thrown his angle for his proper life. Here the image is from fishing, or angling. Claudius has thrown out his hook and is hoping to catch Hamlet's life at the end of it. There's a kind of irony to this image, given that so much of the adventure took place on ships out at sea. Hamlet reduces it all to an image of a single angler throwing out his line. And with such cousinage, he says, Claudius has been so deceptive, so manipulative. Surely it's more than acceptable that Hamlet should fight back, in perfect conscience, indeed. At this exact point in the play, we have our final divergence between the texts of the folio and the second quarto. There are about 13 lines that do not appear in the quarto, but they do get printed in the folio. They're pretty good ones too, so I think the simplest explanation is probably a printing error. But this being Shakespeare and Hamlet, there's much discussion to be found. Some maintain that the difference shows that Shakespeare edited or even revised the play. If you like these kinds of mysteries and discussions, there's a wealth of articles out there for you to find. For now, though, I think these are more than worth looking at as lines of the play. The line actually reads that Hamlet is tripping over himself as he speaks. 
He's mentioned Claudius's crimes and the angling reference and his cousinage, his deceptions, and now he interrupts himself. It's not perfect conscience to quit him with this arm, and is not to be damned to let this canker of our nature come in further evil. Is it not perfectly conscionable to execute Claudius, to quit him with this arm? Hamlet sounds almost like he's looking for approval from Horatio. Is it not to be damned to let this canker of our nature come in further evil? Now he's really pressing the point. Is it not a sin worthy of damnation to let Claudius continue living for fear that he will commit even more evil? It's a simple enough trick to try to justify killing him as a lesser sin than letting him continue on his crime spree. Hamlet calls Claudius a canker, a kind of sore or ulcer, a painful, unpleasant affliction that usually needs to be removed. The word comes from the same root as the word cancer. So, of course, this sore or cancer in our nature, in our country, must be rightfully cut out, right? Whatever kind of confirmation or approval Hamlet is hoping for, he doesn't quite get it from Horatio. Instead, we get yet another pragmatic, considerate response. Horatio says, It must be shortly known to him from England what is the issue of the business there. This is almost like a warning. Shortly enough, word is going to come from England to let Claudius know exactly what has come to pass. What is the issue of the business there? Obviously, Claudius already knows that Hamlet is home, but he doesn't know what else has happened. In this little answer, Horatio sets the clock ticking for the rest of the play. Any good potboiler needs a time limit and the threat of a deadline. And here it is. It's a small moment in a very big play, but it's just what we need right now. Maybe we've needed it all along, as Hamlet has wondered and pondered through the previous acts. Now he responds, and it's a line we might otherwise overlook. Hamlet says, It will be short. The interim is mine. And a man's life's no more than to say one. Horatio has warned that the news will shortly reach the king. Hamlet repeats the word short. It will be short. The interim is mine. The time between now and that news arriving is all I have, he's saying, and I'm going to make the most of it. And a man's life's no more than to say one. This line is a little more cryptic, but what Hamlet means is that our lives are short, not much longer than the time it takes to say the word one. This little window he has is short, but all of our lives are short, really. Again, we're getting these little metaphysical thoughts from Hamlet, as time becomes an issue in a new way. But he changes the subject again. But I am very sorry, good Horatio, that to Laertes I forgot myself. For by the image of my cause I see the portraiture of his. I'll court his favours. But sure, the bravery of his grief did put me into a towering passion. Hamlet is saying that he feels bad that he lost control and got into that brawl with Laertes in the previous scene, that he forgot himself. As he rightly points out, their causes are very similar. They're both in the terrible position of having to avenge the killing of their fathers. They're both overwhelmed at the loss of Ophelia. As Hamlet poetically describes it, by the image of my cause I see the portraiture of his. Their positions can both be framed the same way. 
Of course, there's a looming irony to this. Not only are their causes mirrored, as his metaphor suggests, but each will play the corresponding role to the other, as their fates are determined. The next line is yet another contested one. Hamlet either says, I'll court his favours, I'll attempt to be polite to Laertes, or I'll count his favours, I'll have to acknowledge all his better qualities. Whichever way you want to read it, it's another nod to Laertes as Hamlet's counterpart at court. But sure, he says, the bravery of his grief did put me into a towering passion. Laertes' surprisingly emotional and noisy grief sent Hamlet over the edge too. Hamlet might be on the brink of saying more, explaining why it angered him to see Laertes grieving for Ophelia instead of Hamlet himself, but Horatio interrupts. He cuts off the end of Hamlet's line of verse to say, Peace, who comes here? We are about to meet the last new named character of the play. But of course, as you know by now that I'm going to leave that hanging and save his appearance for the next episode. If you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to find them, be sure to visit thehamletpodcast.com where you can access them all as well as the show notes that accompany the full text every week. I hope you're doing well and I'll speak to you next time.